I'm Amber Tresca, and this is About IBD. It's my mission to educate people living with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis about their disease and to bring awareness to the patient journey. Welcome to episode 108. This podcast is part of the American Gastroenterological Association Colitis Conversations program. Living with an inflammatory bowel disease has a significant effect on quality of life. Ulcerative colitis tends to cause diarrhea and bleeding. The diarrhea can lead to all kinds of problems with quality of life, including not being able to take part in activities that aren't near a bathroom. The bleeding can cause anemia, leaving people feeling tired and unable to go about their daily life. Of course, there are also plenty more, including the effects on relationships and mental health. To dig into how the symptoms of ulcerative colitis affect quality of life, I talked to Danielle Golden, ulcerative colitis patient and ileostomate, and Dr. Nana Bernasco, an IBD nurse practitioner and an assistant professor of medicine in the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at Penn State Health. Dr. Bernasco describes how she approaches patient care to help address quality of life issues that might otherwise get missed. And Danielle tells us how her disease affected her life, including a major change that she made to her car. Our topic today is quality of life associated with ulcerative colitis, including complications and an understanding of the severity of the disease. My guests are Danielle Golden and Dr. Nana Bernasco. Dr. Bernasco, thank you so much for coming on About IBD. Thank you so much for having me here today. Danielle, this is your second appearance on About IBD, so thank you so much for coming back. I'm super honored. So this is a really broad topic, and I think that every person with ulcerative colitis would define it differently. But Danielle, I want to start with you. What are some of the important things that come to mind when you think about quality of life as it relates to having IBD? I I think the most important thing for me is just how much it affects every activity of daily living. It, it, from the moment I open my eyes in the morning to the moment I'm exhausted and go to bed, it's um, unfortunately a constant, a constant presence in my life. And um, the most impactful things I feel that for me is just about parenting. Um, my daughter's now 17, but I've been ill since I was 17 <laughs> as well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she's only ever known me as having um, this disease. And I think that's the thing that I, I'm just most uh, aware of is how it affects parenting, how I can keep my household going while working and, and doing all of the things in between. So I'm very aware of that. And it's a super, super important thing and a super important topic. Yeah. And it's so funny how you say, <laughs> you don't just say, oh, I go to bed at night. You're like, I'm exhausted. I go to bed. <laughs> like that's, you know, that's an important point is the, is the complete exhaustion that you sometimes live through um, during the day. Exhaustion, but you can't sleep. So that's a fun twist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then I think a whole other topic is how, and I'm going through this myself, is like being perimenopausal and how that impacts your sleep and impacts your IBD and everything. You know, maybe you and I will have to jump on in another day. Absolutely. (laughs) So, Dr. Bernasco, I think IBD patients are pretty stoic, if I do say so myself. What are some things that maybe your patients aren't telling you about, but that you wish that they would so that you could help them better take care of themselves? 
Absolutely. So um, certain things like how they're dealing with their disease mentally is an important factor for me as well. Um, I would like to know what their day to day life is like, you know, having this disease. Are they able to function? Are they able to go to class or are they able to take care of their kids? Just how does your life, you know, function with this disease um, on board? And also um, sexuality, um, that's a, definitely an important part that we, I like to pick, you know, talk to patients about if they don't bring that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge. And I think it often doesn't get brought up, of course. I think also patients might not realize that their team can help them with things beyond prescribing medication. So Dr. Bernasco, do you have an example or more than one example of a situation where you um, helped a patient that went beyond just prescribing medication or helping them with those treatments? Yeah, I actually have a quite a, f- a few of those um, examples. Um, the one thing that I'm lucky to have in our IBD center here is that we do have a psychiatrist on board and also a nutritionist, and it's not something that's heavily advertised. And mm-hmm. so when I have patients in my clinic, I will, you know, pry a little bit and say, how are you doing with your nutrition or how are you mentally coping with all of this? And then I kind of offer those services if they feel like they need them. Um, Other things that we do here as well is that we do have an excellent support team. We have um, support groups and we meet every quarter. um, And these are IBD patients that come together and talk openly about the disease. And sometimes we do have um, special guest speakers as well. And then they have programs like yoga. um, And then they have, um, we'll have a special feature where we'll have somebody come and do meditation with them. And so those little things that we can offer them outside of just prescribing medications, um, we definitely let them know when they're here. That's fantastic. Wow, that's really taking care of the whole person. Absolutely. Um, that's amazing. I love that. Danielle, how about you? Are there some things that your healthcare team has uh, brought up to you or offered to you that has helped you with your quality of life outside of just prescribing medications? I'm going to go with empathy. Um, I have the uh. most empathetic team that I'm just so thankful for. Honestly, it's, they've been amazing. My actual, my, my primary care physician does such a good, good job of, she's kind of the cog in the wheel. Mm -hmm. So she is my communication specialist and I could not be more thankful for her. She keeps me and connected with all of my specialists. So my I have two colorectal surgeons because everyone should have two, right? Um, A GI, (laughs) pelvic floor therapist, and some other of my specialists that unfortunately my IBD has affected other, other, I'm very medically complex. So it's affected me in other ways. And I'm so very thankful um, for all of their communication. To me, that's the most important thing. So I don't have to repeat myself. They already know everything when I see each of them individually and that I'm very grateful for. Yeah. The repeating yourself. I I mean, there's lots of cases where it happens and you understand it like before you're having surgery and you have to repeat yourself to everyone that walks in the room, but it is really great when you can come into one of your doctor's appointments and they already know what went on at the last appointment you had last week or the week before or whatever, and you don't have to repeat yourself there. So that's a, that's a really great point and something that I think can really um, help with your quality of life as well and lower your stress levels. Yes. It's so refreshing to not have to keep repeating and just being, you know, I feel like I'm so heard. I don't have to explain myself to each person, even, 
you know, when I have a new person come in, I feel like they're mm -hmm. already very well versed on me and, and that's so important. Talking about affecting the whole person, there are some complications that come along with ulcerative colitis. And I think that especially newly diagnosed patients might not know what those complications are. I think there's reasons for that. One of them maybe being that practitioners might not want to sort of overload people with all of the things that could happen. Dr. Bernasco, what are some of the complications that you might see in your ulcerative colitis patients? There are actually quite a number um, that we can talk about today, um, including weight loss. Weight loss is one of the few things that, you know, will show up earlier on in the disease. And most of the times people avoid eating because when they eat, they have to have, you know, move their bowels. And so mm -hmm. for them, in order to sort of make it through their days, they decide not to eat. And so then they have this drastic weight loss. Um, the other thing is that um, with ulcerative colitis, there's definitely some bleeding involved, rectal bleeding involved. And so these patients will, you know, show up very anemic and sometimes it have, happens over time. And so they don't realize how anemic they are until, you know, we look at their blood work and we're like, oh, my God, how have you been like walking every day and not know that your hemoglobin was this low? Like, how have you been functioning with, you know, such low levels? That's um, another one. And then also, obviously, the diarrhea, 15, 20 bowel movements a day. Um, tenesmas, when you kind of have the feeling like you got to go, you got to go, but then there's nothing that's coming out. And also incontinence, um, when you don't make it to the bathroom in time, um, you may have periods of accidents. And so some of some of those things are very important um, to talk about as well. And then things that you may not actually even notice is happening, you know, um, with IBD, a lot of times patients will end up being on steroids mul multiple times, and that can actually, you know, make their vitamin D deficient and then cause them to have thinning bones, which would be like osteopenia or osteoporosis. And so just outside of the gut, there's so many other things that can take place as well, just, you know, that you may not be aware of um, as well. Yeah. And something that you're referring to in a word that I like to use to describe it is insidious. I like to call ulcerative colitis insidious because these things like anemia sneak up on you. We might normalize a lot of things with ulcerative colitis. So I'm wondering, Dr. Bernasco, what, are, what do you tell your patients are the things that if they're seeing this in themselves that they need to call you right away and they need to be seen? Absolutely. Um, diarrhea does not get better um, over time and then also profuse bleeding, rectal bleeding. Um, those are alarming signs that you need to pick up the phone and call us immediately um, when those things can happen. And then also severe abdominal pain. Some patients do have a level of abdominal pain that they're used to. If it seems like it's completely out of whack, out of hand, this is new, I've never experienced this before, definitely a red flag to call us immediately. It's, it's such a shame to talk about, like, there's a certain amount of pain that, that some people get used to. It, that's that's the way that it happens. And unfortunately, normalizing it, we need to bring these things up when we go in to see our providers that we are experiencing pain. So Danielle, your disease, obviously your disease became severe at points in your life. Did you recognize when that was happening? Or was there someone around you who said, hey, this is not right anymore, and we need to get this dealt with? Yeah, I have an interesting so story about that. So I was misdiagnosed with having gluten issues, gluten intolerances for six years. <sighs> 
And yes, so that was a joy. That was a gem to be diagnosed in college and, you know, having to find things when, you know, not all the Whole Foods types places were around yet. Um, no. So for me, I was immediately diagnosed after a colonoscopy with severe ulcerative colitis. There was no ups and downs. It was severe the entire, my entire journey, unfortunately. But I will say, you know, Dr. Bonasco, like you described me to a T, a T with the weight loss. And, you know, I, I, my hemoglobin was just bottomed out and I had, I think it took such a long time to get there that I just became very used to it. And so the same thing when I had my blood work ran, it was like, how are you driving? How are you going to school? How are you working? And I'm like, I don't know. This is all I've (laughs) ever known. You know, like what? This is, this is news to me. This is, you mean most people don't feel like this? Um, Mm -hmm. But for me, it was when it's like, I knew I was losing weight because again, I also did not want to eat because I wanted to get through an entire shift at work without spending 20 minutes in the bathroom every like with 10 minute increments in between, um, which is so, I mean, that, that was awful. But for me, it was when I saw some photos and Mm -hmm. I, I put up some pictures of my, well, my now husband, but my boyfriend at the time. And I, I had them all up and cute and everyone's like, Oh, wow, you look so, Oh, you lost a lot of weight. And I'm like, this is like not a good way for someone to be like, Oh, you've lost a lot of weight. And so then I started hating those photos because I was reminded that it was just, you know, a terrible cycle that I was living through. I would go on um, steroids and I would gain some weight and then I would be off the steroids for a little bit or I'd never off, but you know, Mm -hmm. they took me down and then I would lose a lot of weight. And so it was the up, down, up, down. And so I think I noticed it most because, again, this is your daily life. Mm -hmm. So I didn't notice it until I saw photos, until people were commenting on those photos. Mm -hmm. And it was just like huge red flags, like, okay, this this is not normal. And maybe I need to get in to be seen a little bit more because I was just used to it. You know, it's unfortunate. You just get used to it. You do. And I know that I felt at times like, well, this is just how it is. And there's no way out of it, which is, you know, we don't want people to feel like that. We don't want people to go through that because there are ways out of it. And the experience of losing a lot of weight, I'll never forget the times in my life where where people looked at me and said something like, oh, you're so skinny. But it was like, no, like, like I was emaciated. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like it was like, it was yes. like extremely unhealthy and not something that you would want people to envy. But they didn't understand what was going on because IBD is an invisible disease, except for the amount of times that you're running to the bathroom while you're at work. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that could have been it. It could have just been my marathon sprints. It wasn't that I was eating. It was because I was exercising on my marathon runs to the bathroom. 25 times a day. So it's a new Olympic sport. I would have the gold. I would take home the world championship with my other fellow IBDers. And literally Mm. running and not only that, but like Like, squeezing your glutes. (laughs) It's an entirely different exercise program. Buns of steel. Buns of steel. (laughs) Amazing. Maybe we should market that. Let's talk afterwards, Danielle. Um, Sounds good. Yeah, it's not a surprise that people with IBD use complementary therapies. They just do. Um, so, but 
I think that is sometimes largely in relation to their quality of life. So I'm wondering, Dr. Bernasco, you've already talked about some of the things that your clinic offers. Um, what are these tools that you found that are more helpful for your patients as they're dealing with stress and anxiety in coping with their ulcerative colitis? So for me personally, when I meet a patient, um, we talk about creating a safe space within our clinic, right? I, I make it known that you can tell me anything you want to. Like, I always say, I cannot help you if I don't know. And so creating that safe space for my patient is key because I want them to be open enough to communicate with me when things don't feel right or sound right. And even just talking to them, I think, is a good way of decreasing their level of stress and anxiety. I always tell them this is a non-judgment zone. Like, I'm not going to judge you for anything you tell me. So be open as much as you can with me. That's number one. And so in creating that open relationship, I find that patients do talk to me a lot about everything, um, sometimes things that I don't want to know, but that's okay. <laughs> that is okay. Like, you know, it's fine. You know, um, I've talked you know, about mother-in-laws and husbands, and, like the whole thing. Mm -hmm. It becomes like a full therapy session, which is fine. I just want you to unload on me because and just having somebody listen to you can just in itself validate how you're feeling. And I think that patients do like that, that, you know, they feel like somebody is actually hearing them and they're not crazy. I'm going to say that out loud. Yes. Um, so that's one. The other thing that I really try to do for them or I tell them is that make time for yourself. Even if it's like five minutes a day, just mm -hmm. focus on you for a minute and just get back to Zen with yourself. You need that space for you, you know, because there are people like like Danielle who have children who have who have to go to school and, you know, everything is moving at a really fast pace. And sometimes you forget about you. And so recentering and focusing on you for, again, even if it's a few minutes of the day is, is another key thing that I try to preach. And then support groups. Can't say enough about those. I mean, just having somebody to talk to outside of me, you know, whether it's a friend or a companion or even just going online and, and talking to people who may have some of the same experiences that you're, you're dealing with. Um, those are all important ways of like, you know, managing this. And then, like I said before, when it comes to more professional stuff, we do have a psychiatrist on board. And um, one thing that I do want to throw out there is that sometimes you can actually work through your insurance companies. They mm -hmm. do offer some of these programs. You just have to kind of look for them and ask, you know, um, is there a therapist I can speak to or is there like, you know, a psychiatrist that I can make an appointment with? And even within your jobs, um, there are employee services that you can access. And so I try to kind of push patients that way to kind of utilize things that may be available to them that they're not aware of. And just to get back to Zen, I think that mind gut axis is so important. Um, you know, you come into me as a person, not just as a gut that walks through my door. And so it's so important that we have that whole holistic approach when we're trying to talk about healing and getting back into remission. Danielle, we all experience 
low times with our disease. And you work as an activist. You have your partner, Joe Teeters, and you guys have formed Double Bagging It. And you have a very hopeful and positive presence on, you know, what you do on social media and uh, the different events that you do around the country, maybe not so much during COVID, um, but hopefully you all can get back to that. Um, but I'm sure you've experienced low times. Would you mind describing a time that you've had more difficulty with your quality of life and then how you sort of dealt with that and got out of it? Absolutely. So one of my favorite things to do in life is to travel and to see family and friends. And I think that I was okay coping with my ulcerative colitis diagnosis up until I realized that traveling during the holiday season or during the winter season in Ohio uh, down State Route 71 is never a good time when you have raging diarrhea. So putting that out there. Um, <laughs> spinning some truths. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Poop fountains. Okay. So for me, that was one of the biggest challenges because being in a car with someone, which sounds like so weird, right? When you have IBD, like you need, that's, you have zero control or, mm -hmm. or very little control. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was either I would drive myself places or my husband, maybe my parents. I would never go in another car with anyone else. I would mm -hmm drive by myself, I would rent a separate car, whatever it took just for peace of mind. Mm -hmm. And when I started getting extremely ill, and none of my meds were unfortunately working as well as they should be or at all, I decided that I had to take matters into my own hands. And so Amber already knows, I actually had a toilet installed in my vehicle. And um, that was one I know that's crazy. That's true. <laughs> Bought a car, took out a seat, put a very fancy camping toilet in there. But it made me, it gave me such a peace of mind. And, it, mm -hmm. you know, it was just, it was not very used very frequently. But when I had to, I had to. And it was good to not have to hold that in or be terrified and white knuckling it down, you know, a major highway. And so for me, that, that was a huge, huge turning stone. Like I had to, or turning point, I had to take as much control as I could. And so for me, that was huge because traveling and seeing people and experiencing life is the most important thing. I didn't want to miss out. I missed out on so many events and so many milestones in my family that I just, I was the only one that wasn't there. And as much as people try to understand, it's still hard to be the person that always has to cancel plans. And so I think that was such a monumental moment when I realized like I can be creative and do something about this because there's not many things that I can control. So I, I did what I could and hence the car toilet. Yeah, the car, the car toilet. <laughs> the poop mobile. The poop mobile, as it's very affectionately called, the poop mobile. So do you think that you actually had to stop to use the bathroom less often because you had that available to you? I think so. I, even yeah. my husband was like, wow, this is amazing because I would count the miles in between. Like I know every route of any place I've ever been. I knew yeah. where the good bathrooms were. Yeah. Like, Quali sometimes you want quality over quantity and sometimes you want quantity over quality and sometimes it's just a tree. Whatever that may be, I definitely just having the, the nerves of going like passing one rest stop. It's like, oh my gosh, there's not another one for 45 miles. Yeah. That stress would just, it was like a, it was like a snowball going down a mountain, right? Mm -hmm. So, and then oftentimes like we'd pull off on the side of the road and once I got to like that safe spot, I didn't have to go. It was fine. Yeah. 
Yeah. But having that, you know, having that yeah. cute little uh, toilet with the little curtains and a little magazine rack, I'm not going to lie. It's good times. Imagine wow. that, everyone. Put it in because that's what happened. But it was. It, it was a peace of mind. And that peace of mind helps, you know, calm my nerves. And calming my nerves helped me not have as many bathroom stops. And it was just, it was, it was good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. You know, driving in the car was probably one of the worst. That and waiting to board a plane. I, I think we're the, two, we're the two worst times. By the way, Danielle, what year was this that you installed that toilet? Do you remember? Let me think back. Um, this had to have been around 2001. Okay. Because wow. I had to think my daughter was born in 2004, and she was born yeah. into the life of thinking that every car had a toilet in it. <laughs> no jokes. The greatest thing. And she was ex- – here's a fun story. She was really confused – then when like she'd get in my parents' car and she's like, where's the potty? And my parents were like, no, <laughs> like she thought that they were just like not up to speed. Like what's wrong with you? Um, and then we had like a ceremonious thing to get rid of it after my ostomy surgery. And she was oh, also wow. very confused and sad. She, I think she felt it was like, you know, she's an only child. Perhaps that was like that was her pal in the back seat. <laughs> It's it's interesting because, Danielle, your story and Amber, your stories are pretty much similar. Like, this is what I hear from my patients all the time. It's like, I know every bathroom on my way to your office, mm-hmm. you know, and it, we, we try to change that narrative um, over time when we get to work together. That's a beautiful thing. You know, the three of us obviously sitting here, we don't have any problem talking about our bowels. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's really difficult. It's not easy. And it's not easy, not easy to go into your healthcare provider's office, uh, especially the first time you have to do it, and talk about what's going on and have somebody ask you how many times you go to the bathroom a day and what does it look like and mm-hmm. um, what is the consistency and things like that. But then on top of that, we have topics like sexual and mental health that patients Patients might really have even more trouble discuss- discussing with their healthcare providers. So we have to find ways to talk about these things. So I'm wondering, Dr. Bernasco, do you have ways that you help your patients? You you create a safe space, um, but do you have ways that you help your patients to overcome these barriers so that they do tell you about what's going on with some of these trickier topics? Yes, actually. So the other thing that I act, uh, I do is uh, a pregnancy and IBD clinic. And so in order to start having that conversation from, you know, basics, I what I ended up doing was like putting up flyers in my waiting room and also in my clinic uh, space. And so while patients were waiting to be roomed or waiting for me to come in, they would see these posters in the room and that in itself would start that conversation about, hey, you know, I'm thinking of having a family soon. And what do you think we need to do with our IBD? Because it basically says if you're planning on starting your family or continuing your family, you know, bring it up to your provider. And so I put that in there to, and you know, get people to start talking about that. Because it's one thing that, you know, sometimes people don't think that we would be interested in. But like I said, for IBD, for you to have a healthy pregnancy, it's important that your IBD is in remission. So sometimes patients forget that we're part of that, you know, solution. 
um, as well. So that was the first thing I did was to just kind of put that out there to start that conversation. And then um, again, back to the mental part of it. I'm like, how are you coping with your disease? Is there anything else that I need to know? How's your partner doing? How are how is your relationship going? I get all in there. I want to know who you're dating, all that fun stuff. Like, let's talk about it. And then, you know, once again, once you kind of get used to me and being all nosy and all up in your life, there are things that sometimes I don't even ask you about and you just start telling me about it, you know. And it's again, it's all about creating that safe space and, um, you know, getting people to open up a little bit. I try not to be so up there. Like, you know, I want you to I want you to think that you're coming to see somebody who's here on your team to help you out versus, oh, I'm the doctor. You can't tell me anything kind of scenario. And so people think I'm crazy. I laugh so much. I hugs. I give hugs. I celebrate when people get in remission. And, it, you know, it's kind of a journey for both of us because, um, you know, if I get in remission, you're not calling me as much. And I know your life is good. So, you know, just, again, opening that that, you know, safe space and having that conversation from the get go. Um, I think is, is one of the things that I've been successful in, in doing with my patients. They, they like to talk. I like to listen. Let's, let's get it together. You know, I love that. I love that. Yeah. And, that yeah. and it's really innovative too. just so, something as simple as putting up a flyer. It's really interesting. I, I love that idea. It's a really innovative approach that I haven't heard before. So that's mm-hmm. fantastic. I, I do. I feel the same way. I think like I'm sitting in the waiting room and I used to you know, have a a notepad back in the pioneer days. And now I have my phone and I'm writing questions. But it's like, if I see that, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna add that to my little list of questions. That's beautiful. It's wonderful. Because we're usually so in the mode of just like, we got to get in there, we got to, you know, make sure all of our questions were met, like you think you have to be quick, so you get it all in. But it's like, you forget all the really important things that are part of your daily lives, because you're just so focused on, you know, the basics, the basics of IBD that you forget that it's, it affects every single thing around you. Yeah. Yeah. And bringing up those difficult topics, I'll, I remember the times when I had to do it. (laughs) Um, and that, you know, for instance, like you're recovering from surgery and nobody told me it's funny because when I left the hospital after having a baby, I was given very specific instructions on everything that you could do and everything that you weren't supposed to do. But then after surgery, it was a little bit like, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. Uh, you know, I remember going into my surgeon's office and, and like literally asking him very pointed questions so that I could, so that I could get those answers because I needed to move on with my life. What did you do, Danielle, when you had to ask those, those questions about the more difficult or personal or intimate topics? Uh, so for me, be, the misdiagnosis for a long time was really stifling, I guess you can say. So once I received the proper diagnosis, I think I was just an open book that I had, mm-hmm. I had an answer and I had, you know, a team that was willing to listen to me and I recognized that. So um, I know I'm kind of the minority on this because I think I'm, I just, I'm very blunt and I am really out there. And like I said, I just want, I want to fix everything as soon as I can or work on that. So for me, it was just getting right down to it. As soon as I walked in, I had my list of questions again on my notebook and now nowadays on the iPhone and um, just just getting right in there. I'm definitely not a very shy person, as you may have guessed. Um, And I always joke that my filter had been taken out a long time ago. So um, I think that's good for me as a patient to be able to not, you know, beat around the bush and and have to have my doctor interpret, well, what are you trying to say to me? 
I'm like right out there, like, let's get to it. Um, so, and I mix in a little bit of humor with that. I think that's an open, that's an open door then because although these illnesses are not funny, there are many things that years later you find funny and sometimes (laughs) you can find funny at that moment. Um, I think that just also helps not only your medical team, but just to bring down that barrier for yourself, Mm -hmm. take down that wall so that, you know, you can just be open and honest and get right to what you need to be talking about. Yeah, I think that's right. Dr. Bernasco, I just want to ask you if you have any advice for patients on how, if they don't have a provider that's all up in and asking them who they're dating and how they're doing like you do, um, how can they start those conversations and better advocate for themselves? So when it comes to um, being an IBD warrior, that's what I call my patients. They're all warriors, right? One thing that I do empower them to do is to be open communicators. Like, I always tell my patients, I cannot fix what I don't know. I cannot read your mind. And when I come into clinic, I have my own agenda. I do write notes to for things I need to accomplish. But I also ask that question, is there anything else that we need to talk about today that you came in with? I think it also falls back on the provider to, again, create that safe space and ask questions of the patient, not just come in with our own agenda. So that's one. But I always tell my patients, tell me the truth, be as open as possible. You can cry in here. You can cuss in my building. So long as you're not cussing on me, I'm okay. This is your space. Um, But I want you to be as open as possible. We're here to be vulnerable. I'm here to help you. And I can't if I don't know what the issue is. And I always tell them, I don't read minds. Mm. It's It's not one of the skills that I have. So... Always empower patients, um, again, through education and just giving them a voice. I always like to hear them and I let them know that their feelings are very much um, appreciated and also respected. And again, talk to me. I can't fix what I don't know. Mm-hmm. If only we could read minds. Boy, that would be a blessing and a curse, wouldn't it? <laughs> totally. <laughs> I feel like nobody wants to read my mind. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure that I that I would either want that responsibility or have someone else to have that responsibility. <laughs> um, it would make things easier at times, though. Um, Danielle, so for our newly diagnosed patients, do you have any advice on navigating those first couple of years? Absolutely. I I think I, I'm a big fan of social media. However. I feel very strongly that we need to educate the new newly diagnosed patients um, or, or even those who have been at it for a while and just, you know, get stuck in the situation. Mm-hmm. Don't compare your journey to other people mm. ever. It's IBD is like a fingerprint, right? Mm-hmm. We're all different. Um, we could have similar personalities, but our does not mean our diseases are going to be the same. Our journeys are going to be the same. You know, treatment plans, none, none of those things. Medications, what works for me. Uh, you know, may not work for somebody else. And Mm -hmm. I feel that so many people, like I said, social media is wonderful. Support groups are wonderful. Talking to other people are wonderful. Knowing that you're not alone is wonderful. However, you cannot compare yourself to other people's journeys. It's just unfair for you. And, you know, I think working with your medical team is the most important. You You can get all the lifestyle hacks, IBD lifestyle hacks, that kind of stuff, but do not compare your actual medical journey to other people's. I have to echo the same sentiment, um, Danielle. I always tell my patients, you're very unique. Um, you know, support groups are great, but don't get your medical advice from from those, you know, 
um, avenues just because you're different and how you present and how you respond to medications is completely different. So you just know that you're a unique person and your disease is unique to you. So definitely agree with that. I'm going to go with you first, Dr. Manasco, because I told you that I didn't give you the question beforehand and I don't want you to feel stressed about it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Um, So I was going through your Instagram account and I saw that you have something that's called the Wall of Gratitude. Yes. So I would love for you to tell us more about your Wall of Gratitude. Okay. I know we're, we're talking, you know, but I do have a wall of gratitude um, in my office and it's all the thank you cards or most of the thank you cards that I was able to keep with me uh, throughout my, my career um, that would fit on this wall. And I think that sometimes patients you know, forget that we as providers are also human beings and we have emotions and, you know, we go through life too. And so um, on my tough days and days that I feel like I'm completely beaten down, um, whether it's struggling with a difficult patient or I'm just really overwhelmed with, you know, life in general, I come to my wall of gratitude. And these are, again, thank you cards from patients from my career that have taken time to send me a card to say thank you for helping them throughout their journey. So it's all, it's from, you know, thank you for getting me into remission to go see my family in a different country. Thank you for helping me to take a trip to go adopt my son. It's, it's everything um, from just even teaching me how to manage my disease. And so I keep that on my wall again, just to keep me from, you know, Um, keep me going and helping other people because I know that what I do is very important to the people that I do it for. And it just makes them better at life and get things done that they weren't possibly, you know, thought they could have done in the future. So that's, that's my wall of gratitude. I'm not crying. You're crying. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing that on Instagram and thank you for sharing it with us just now. I hope that you share um, more of those high points, more of those highlights. I think that they're really important and important for us as patients to see too, you know, that people do well and that they do well enough that they, they think, their team for it. So that's fantastic. That's yeah. awesome. I may have to take a little bit, little bit of that back to uh, Joe with double bagging it because that's a brilliant idea. And I've, yeah. we've received some correspondence that we just hold very dear to our hearts. And um, I think that's a beautiful way to put it out there and to remind yourself. That's awesome. Thank you. Danielle. Yes. Because we know each other and we're friends. I know that you have embarrassing stories about your life with ulcerative colitis. You're not shy about telling them. I'm curious to know if you have any that I haven't heard yet, though. Um, you may have heard this one, but I was reminded of it this morning. So I'm going to tell a little um, post-ostomy story. So I have an ileostomy. I've had it for 14 years. And it's um, it's a wonderful thing. I enjoy my ostomy very much. And I became very complacent, so I went to Starbucks earlier, and this is what reminded me of the story because it's an integral part of the story. <laughs> I, um, In my first 10 years, I'm very fortunate. I have a, a wonderful little stoma, and I have very few issues, if any, honestly. I'm extremely fortunate. 
And so one time, you know, you can forget about that. And this this event could actually happen with or without a butthole. Let's put that out there. This story mm-hmm. could happen to anyone with or without. So I just happened to be without and with an ostomy. And so one day I was enjoying a little me time. Dr. Bernasco said, you know, you got to have your me time, right? Mental mm-hmm. health is good. So I decided that I was going to go to the Columbus Zoo by myself without husband or child, with Love no it. friends involved. Too. So excited. I had just, uh, here's another part of the story. I just started a new medication for a different, um, a different illness that I deal with. And I was unaware of some of the side effects. Throw that in with the bucket size ice latte and uh, some leggings. You know, it's like going into fall, had my hoodie, my little backpack, which one would think that you would carry essentials in. You would think that incorrectly. You would absolutely think that incorrectly. And so um, so there I was, enjoying my me time next to the, the polar bears and um, the brown bears. Nice. Enjoying them. And when I felt a strange little sensation, a little warmth and then a little cold. And I was like, what, what might that be? What might that be, Danielle? So I head over to the bathroom confidently, like, that can't be anything. I just spilled a little coffee. Oh, it could be something. It could be something. I had, like, the blowout of all blowouts in my ostomy. Like, that never happens. I, it, hence me not carrying supplies, which kids, if you're listening at home, whether you have a butthole or not, take extra underwear. Absolutely. Bring extra toilet paper. If you have an ostomy, bring extra supplies. You just put it in a little Ziploc. It's not difficult. Just like, you know, like a diaper bag for a baby, but you can put it in a Ziploc. What's wrong with you, Danielle? And so I furiously start digging through my little Adidas backpack thinking maybe by some, by some miracle, there is some kind of thing in here. There was not. There was not some chapstick. And so... Here's the fun part. You thought part. you were normal. I don't know what you thought you were having a I normal day. I don't <laughs> even know what to think. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I just started this medication. This is probably, like, we're talking like, not just like, like I ate too many almonds, thick poop. I'm going to get gross here. I'm going to like, listen, we're going to have it out. I'm talking poop fountain, a poop fountain. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, this better not be one of those, uh, the newer bathrooms at the zoo. I don't want the forced air hand dryers. I want toilet, like toilet paper. I want, I want the paper towels. I want all of that. So I like think, thankfully they did have that. I went and grabbed a bunch. I shoved them in where I had to tied the like sweatshirt around my waist. But the best part is, is I am the furthest point in the zoo from the entrance, the furthest, like as far as you can be. Cause I knew once I got to my car, it was the promised land, right? You just drive your little self home and you're going to be fine. I am the furthest point. And then it is during the week. And so there are a lot of moms with strollers and it was like a, an old school game, like back in the pioneer days, old school game of Frogger, where you had to, you had to get away from all of the small toddlers and children who were stoma height. That's right. They were stoma height running at me, happy to see the bears. And I literally put my hand on somebody's child's head because that would have been just he wasn't looking. That would have been a mess. I'm not going to say what I really think it would, but it would have been a storm, a storm. Let's just call it that. And so anyways, I had learned my lesson that day as I had been. It it was very similar, right? Like when you have to go with IBD before an ostomy, when you're doing that marathon sprint with your butt cheeks put together. I was doing the sprint 
holding on to my like belly, realizing, Danielle, you're going to go make 5,000 emergency ostomy kits to place everywhere that you go. <laughs> like I wanted to give one to each of my friends, put them in my car, put them in every backpack, every purse. Like I was thinking ahead. And I've done many posts about this on Double Bagging It because everyone needs a little emergency kit. Anyways, it was not funny at the time. It was super funny once I got to my car, but it really was a game of Frogger with like strollers. And now I still have like some, I have a little bit of zoo PTSD sometimes, which it's like in a funny way. Not that PTSD is funny, but like I get there and I see a lot of strollers and I'm like, oh, I just thankfully I just changed my bag this morning. We're good. I have all of my supplies, but it was like a learning experience. But it was also very funny because it was just like, ev like everything that could go wrong went wrong and then you top it off with like the bucket size of the ice latte that's never a good idea for anyone <laughs> anyone wherever you may poop whatever area of the body you poop out that is not a good idea you need to plan ahead and maybe just get the like the smaller one anyways that's my story and it's all about learning so people be prepared sometimes we have to learn things the hard way in order to never do them again be prepared danielle Dr. Bernasco, thank you so much for coming on about IBD and sharing all of your wisdom. Some of it, very hard one, and the tips that you have for helping people deal with the complications of ulcerative colitis and living a better quality of life. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been very fun. Hey, super listener. Thanks to Dr. Nana Bernasco for bringing her knowledge and perspective to this topic and all she does, not only for her own patients, but for the patient community as a whole by teaching other healthcare professionals. Thank you also to Danielle Golden for being so transparent about her journey and for always making me laugh. Links to a written transcript, everyone's social media handles, and more information on the topics we discussed is in the show notes and on my episode 108 page on aboutibd.com. You can also follow me across all social media as About IBD. Thanks for listening. And remember, until next time, I want you to know more about IBD. This American Gastroenterological Association Colitis Conversations program was supported by Pfizer, Inc. About IBD is a production of Malintel Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by me, Amber Tresco. Mix and sound design is by Mac Cooney. Theme music is from Cooney Studio.